Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thanks very much for giving up just a little bit of your very busy week, I'm sure. Today, a really interesting guest, but this time from a national association or a peak body group that we'll be talking to about their challenges in telling their story and how they're using content to get the message through to influence their audiences. But as we do, we start the program each week with a definition of just exactly what is content communication. Content communication is a strategic, measurable, and accountable business process that relies on the creation, curation, and distribution of useful, relevant, and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder action. So there we go. The definition doesn't change each week, but I think it's really important that even though we're past 100 plus episodes here at In Transition, that we keep pounding away at that definition because we've got a lot of work to do to get people to understand that they are now in the media business, that they're now in the publishing business. That is the great gift of technology And that's what we're trying to encourage people to take up. So to my guest today, Frank Quinlan is the Chief Executive Officer of Mental Health Australia, the peak body representing mental health organisations in Australia. Frank is responsible for implementing Mental Health Australia's vision of mentally healthy people, mentally healthy communities. Frank was previously the Executive Director of the Catholic Social Services of Australia, another peak national body for social services organisations providing social and community services to over a million people each year. Frank has a long history in working in the not-for-profit sector, having previously worked at Grasmere Youth Services, Tranmere Street Youth Refuge and the Australian Drug Foundation. He has held senior positions with Alcohol and Other Drugs Council of Australia and the Australian Medical Association. Frank has completed tertiary studies at both Monash University and Melbourne University in Australia and has been a guest lecturer in public policy programs at the Australian National Universities. And he has very kindly come into the studio. So, Frank, welcome to Content Group and welcome to In Transition. Very happy to be here, David. Thanks for having me. Mental health, massive issue, isn't it? This is a big issue globally. Just give us sort of a sense of the challenge that you and the the member organisations that you've got here in Australia are dealing with. Sure. Our our member organisations across the country are providing services and programs to the one in five Australians who experience mental illness every year. So that's every year, one in five. And to the some 45% or 50% of Australians who experience mental illness over the course of a lifetime. So it's a huge problem. Unlike other illnesses, uh, it manifests itself early and has an enormously long lifetime cost. Uh, Diseases that appear when we get old have a short life. Uh, 75% of mental illness occurs before people uh, turn 25. So that's a tremendous uh, burden for the community to be carrying, but it's also, I think, a tremendous incentive for the community to do something about it because we know that's a 
a lifetime return if we're able to divert somebody from severe mental illness. Do you think that's well understood that the problem is so large in people who are so young? Uh, Ironically, I actually think it is, uh, but I think it's understood well by the community and not so much by the decision makers. So one of the issues we have in our communications challenge uh, is the sort of dissonance, I think, between uh, what what uh, governments and decision makers are doing about mental health and what the community is ready for. Because there's no doubt if you look at campaigns that organisations like Beyond Blue and Sane and Black Dog and Are You OK, all of those sort of campaigns and events get huge public take-up. People understand the messages really quickly. Uh, they're really supportive. They're right behind it. What we don't see and haven't seen over a long period is concerted government action around these sorts of issues to address the sorts of uh, challenges and to make the sort of investment that we need up front in order to save those long-term costs. But given the scale of the statistics which you quoted in your opening answer, surely why why isn't the message getting through? If that's the evidence, if that's the information, why is there this disconnect between that awareness and understanding and the, the, the policy action? I think the biggest challenge that we face in that regard is that the uh, actors in this space all have different interests. So mental health is one of those areas that rests right on the cusp of Commonwealth and state yeah. relations. Okay. So the Federation White Paper that uh, uh, the Abbott Uh, Prime Ministership uh, helped to prepare, actually used mental health as a case study of the failure of Commonwealth and state relations. So the the challenge for us is that uh, the Commonwealth Government alone cannot act to resolve many of these issues. And if they did, uh, many of the benefits of their action would accrue to state government budgets and vice versa. State governments that act on these issues Uh, might well achieve some good, but uh, the benefit of that will show up in federal government coffers. So there's a real, uh, I think, fundamental structural challenge that says uh, unless we can bring these governments together, uh, and I think that means Commonwealth leadership, unless the Commonwealth can take leadership and bring uh, state and territory governments to the table, then we're likely to see the sort of frustrated stop-start ad hoc efforts that we've seen, frankly, over decades. Okay. And just as a final question in terms of setting up the challenge that we're going to try to solve, or you're going to explain to me how you're solving it from a a communications and content point of view, how harmonious are are the activities and the relationships between your member organisations? How well are they working together to try to target their efforts? Sure. The, w- the way I put it is that I think they're doing a very good job, notwithstanding the terrible system that they're all a part of. So those organisations would almost universally prepare a report for their funder every year that says, here you are, funder, we did yep. uh, exactly what you asked us to do and probably a good bit more. Yep. Uh, there's our report. However, What we've seen year on year is that they're often asked to do the wrong things. They're often asked to work in isolation. Uh, They're not asked to work as part of a broader system. They're not asked to work towards a common goal. Uh, And so uh, we often say that good people in those organisations are making a bad system much more effective 
than it perhaps would be otherwise uh, and certainly not as effective as it could be if there was uh, serious coordination across all of that effort. Okay. So I think we've got a pretty clear picture of the problem. <laughs> sure. Which is a big... We're, we're, we're always good at problem <laughs> identification. That's our specialty. Yeah. Okay. So we've got about 20 more minutes and we're going to solve some of these problems. We're going to try to work out how are you going about using communication to start to solve some of these problems? What are some of the things that you're doing? Because I know a lot of the people who are listening to this podcast all over the world, that's the business that they're in. And I know they'd be really interested in some insights. Given that you've, you know, you've, you've taken us everywhere from, you know, federal state relations, which are problems, you know, all over the world and all the way through to, you know, poorly tasking, you know, organisations around funding proposals. So there's, there's a lot in that. It's a very, very big challenge. So how are you going about sort of defining um, your communication and, and, and the solution to the, to the challenges? Sure. I think the first challenge that we face is getting an agreed set of facts. Right. Uh, however, I don't overstate the value of that. Uh, what I mean is to say that we need to have, uh, I think, some credible arguments to put into both the political and the public uh, domain that say this is the nature of the problem. Now, I say I don't overstate the value of that because everybody's doing that. Everybody can send the government a report that says, look, by the way, our particular problem costs uh, Australia $60 billion off its GDP every year. You know, we've all seen those reports. Uh, I think you have to be credible in that space. I think you have to be uh, consistent in that space. But I don't think there's much value in... Uh, over-investing in deciding whether it's $50 billion or $70 billion or somewhere in the middle. I think yeah. a, a credible sort of statement of the nature of the problem uh, is important. I think you also have to speak from the uh, experience of those who are current participants in the system, uh, not just the providers in that system. So in our case, the, the doctors, the psychologists, the nurses, the uh, community organisations, the social workers, the peer workers and others. Uh, I think you have to speak in a voice that has resonance with the consumers and the carers, the, the average punter who experiences this system on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, I just this afternoon read an account uh, from one of the National Mental Health Commissioners, Jackie Crow, who speaks from a, a lived experience, uh, which was about her first encounter with the system when she reached out for help, she's very soon, not, notwithstanding the fact that she'd never displayed any hint of violence or instability, she very quickly found herself surrounded by four security guards being marched into a secure ward in a facility uh, with no one explaining to her what was going on. Now, that's the, that's the sort of day-to-day -day experience of people in the system and I think we have to keep reaching out to uh, to the people who are experiencing the system so that our voices have resonance because they're talking to their local MPs, they're talking to their decision makers and others as well. So you think it's the motivation and activation of those people that is going to be a critical path I think in terms of those solutions? I think that's part of it. Again, no quick fix because we've all heard those stories but I think uh, anecdotes and uh, first-hand accounts 
are at least as powerful as some of those bigger sort of statistical reports. Well, yeah, I, look, I don't about. think there's any doubt about that. I think it's uh, emotion. You have to move people emotionally. You know, I think the facts, there's that famous saying that, you know, I think he's Carl Nain or Carl Hain, a um, psychotherapist from Canada who talks about, you know, it's, it's facts that validate but it's emotion that drives action. So yeah. it's really reaching in and moving people with a story that is really the path to success yeah. with and, communication. And, and if we laid a, a, you know, a detailed report on the table in between us now and got three statisticians in or researchers to consider the implications of that, we'd get you know, a good five or six views on what that report actually said <laughs> yeah. and which parts of it reli- were reliable. But if I tell you the story of somebody yes. in, uh, in detail about you know, their experience yesterday in a, a mental health unit or a facility, you can't argue with the truth of that. That, that, is, that is true. You can argue about its implications but it gives you a sort of base in truth that I think is very powerful. Indeed. And I think the fact that this, the numbers are so large, as you quoted earlier, you know, the resonance of those stories, people will say, oh, you know, I know something like that or I've heard something like that that happened to a friend, a family member, yep. a cousin, whoever. Yep. So therefore I think that's a that's a good path, isn't it, really, to try to find those stories. Yep. And just while I'm at it, how do, you do, how do you find those stories? How do you find people willing to share what is often a very, you know, humiliating perhaps often or degrading story where they're prepared to open themselves up to a, a degree of scrutiny that would be very difficult for a lot of people. Absolutely. And I think that's a changing environment. So I think that's the benefit of the sorts of, as I mentioned before, work that Are You OK and Beyond Blue and Black Dog and Sane and others are doing is it's making it okay to tell those stories and making it safer to tell those stories. It's not always perfectly safe and people won't always do it and, you know, we still uh, say to people, you know, you've got to make a decision even in a workplace about whether it's best to be talking to your employer about your mental health issues mm. or not because it won't always be the, the best thing to do. Uh, however, I do think that we're moving on and moving forward. So the stigma is the dropping? St- I believe so. Okay, Slo- that's good. Slowly, yeah. but but uh, but it's dropping, and I think having you know some of the public figures that we've had uh, come out and talk about their own lived experience. Uh, John Brogdon, famously, who's now doing some uh, great work with uh, Lifeline. Andrew Robb, uh, previously in this government, talking about his own lived experience and his own uh, high functioning as a, a minister, cabinet minister, who was carrying. Uh, mental health issues at the time. And then, you know, most recently to a, a new Minister for Health who amongst the first things that he talked about, talked about his family experience mm. of uh, mental health and the mental health uh, system uh, in a way that, uh, again, I think gives credibility and strength to the sorts of arguments. But how then do you sustain forward. that momentum? How do you grow that momentum actually beyond, you know, things are happening, but how do you ha- get it to happen faster? I think you have to uh, identify success. You have to identify things that decision makers can do uh, and you have to uh, demonstrate the success of those sorts of initiatives in order to build confidence. So that means uh, in some cases starting relatively small and and building up. Uh, And I think that's complicated by the fact that decision makers uh, can't often do all of the things that even they would want to do. So I think it means that what we're often doing is brokering a conversation between uh, decision makers and the community 
and we're trying to get to a common understanding of the bits of those two different stories that coincide at any particular time. And that can be accidental, it can be fortuitous, or it can be carefully thought out strategy. But at any given time, uh, it's about identifying what's possible. That means we have to take forward the stories from our members, the idea from our members, and we're, we're a good example of that. We're, we're next week uh, taking our members to Parliament House and sitting down with some 40-odd members and senators, including the Minister uh, for Health, the, the, the Prime Minister, the Opposition Leader, the Shadow Ministry and so forth, to just say, look, here are some of the things that you could be doing. Um, we are united in our uh, in our wish for you to do these things. If you do these things, you will get our applause, you know, and, and, you'll, be, and you'll be thanked. And I think it's about uh, finding those clear, strong, actionable messages that will be the start of a reform process. But it's also those objectives, isn't it, that you're taking something to them that they can actually do. You're saying to them, here is the program, as you say, that we're unified around. So there's obviously very clear objectives sitting behind your ask. Yeah, and ironically, well, not ironically, I suppose, but uh, interestingly, it goes back to the definition that you began our conversation with around what is communication. Correct. Uh, Actionable, measurable objectives that can be taken forward. One of the first things we're saying to government, for instance, is that if you don't set targets if you don't say what it is that we're trying to achieve, how will we ever know whether any of our strategies have been effective or not? So step one, let's set some clear targets and some indicators that will then allow us to measure our progress, that will guide our investment, that will allow us as a non-government sector largely to line up our future investment and to make investments that we know are uh, in pursuit of that broader goal that will allow the community to make judgments about you politically, about whether you're pursuing the sorts of objectives that the community wants you to. And unless we get that first step, it's very hard to see how much of the rest can can follow on. But you would know, having been around, that trying to get that, that, that degree of accountability is often very, very hard in public communication, public sector communication around you know, politicians who don't want to be seen to have failed because That's exactly a, you right. know, a hard numbers there, you know, you've got to be, you've got to have the courage to go for that. And sometimes they don't have that courage. Yeah. And I guess that goes to the other part of the question, certainly in terms of the challenge that we take back to the Commonwealth government, which, and this goes back to all of those challenges about federation and other things that I talked about. Uh, part of what we have to say to a Commonwealth government is you must lead us on this. We need leadership. Unless the Commonwealth government is prepared to uh, take a stance of leadership, to bring its own resources and dollars to the table, then why would we expect state and territory governments to come to the party either? So uh, a part of our message for government uh, and the Commonwealth government, which is our our main uh, audience, is to say we really need you to take a lead on these things. Uh, we want to give you confidence that if you do, we'll actually be behind you uh, because uh, no leader in any domain wants to be the one that gets caught way out in front, so far out in front that there's no one else in sight. Uh, but, uh, but again, I, I think for us that's principally about a story that lines up all yep. of that community expectation and hope and, and ambition that 
I think is very evident to anyone who spends time in the community that mental health issues are very close to people's hearts and minds. It's about lining up that sort of expectation from the, from the community with the sort of opportunities that uh, Commonwealth government uh, politicians have to, to pull various levers. Just from a policy point of view, do you think your expectations are reasonable or are you asking too much? Not that I know what you're asking for. But, no, no, yeah. no. Look, I, I think that's a, a very good filter for us to apply mm. because I think we have to ask honest questions of ourselves about what is possible. So uh, we're under no illusions that any Commonwealth government acting at the moment is acting within a particular budget yeah. environment and envelope. Um, so it seems unlikely to me that if you went to the Commonwealth Government and said, we want you to make an unprecedented new investment in mental health issues, um, that you were going to get a very credible sort of hearing. Hmm. Um, but if, as, as we are, if we're able to go to government and say, look, here are some key priorities, here are the gaps that need to be filled urgently, here are the first sorts of investments that you need to make uh, over time, then I think we have much greater chance. And I guess the test uh, of our own judgment will be whether we've managed to line those two stories up appropriately or not. So in terms of – so the vision's clear, the mission's clear. I imagine the values are clearly defined. Let's say the objectives are there, which, you know, you're going with a clear story to take to them. Given that there's – you know, the audiences are everything from people caring for their, you know, parents – at a later stage all the way through to, you know, someone caring for a, a young child who may have issues. Given there are so many audiences, how do you go about segmenting and understanding those audiences given that there's only a limited amount of budget and resources that you've got to communicate that story? Yeah, so uh, I, th I think if I might say that's a particular challenge for us as a peak organisation because rightly... Uh, any individual one of our members will be looking to us to say, uh, can you take up the fight on our behalf? You know, 150 members or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a real challenge. So part of what we have to do is to uh, develop our own messaging in such a way that it's acceptable to those members as well as being acceptable to the audience that we're trying to convince. The way we put that often is to say uh, we argue for a larger pie and we allow our members to take up the argument about who gets which bit of pie and how big their various shares are. Right. But, but let's be united in saying currently uh, mental health issues uh, don't get their fair share of the health budget. We get approximately 5.5%, a little bit less of the health budget and by most accounts we're mental health issues take up something like uh, between 12 and 25% of the morbidity and mortality associated with uh, mental health issues. So historically, uh, mental health funding has been probably something in the order of about half of what it should be in order to, you know, have a comparison with the rest of the health system. Now, we're not going to see that change overnight. So part of, again, what we're doing is saying to government, let's have a long-term plan around this. Let's take baby steps on some of the fixing some of the gaps, and let's start a journey together that sees us uh, redress those gaps. I think that's safer for government because they don't have to do the whole thing all at once. Um, but it's also a confidence building for those that 
uh, as so many of our members, are investing serious money from their own purses and from contributions that the public make uh, to augment a system that by some accounts, you know, could be government responsibility. So, But that that's a really difficult thing, isn't it, from a peak body's point of view, is, you know, 150 people, you don't want to tread on anyone's toes. That must be, sure. you know, some... You must be light on your feet, Frank. <laughs> uh, light on, light on, light on our feet. But, but, uh, but also, frankly, uh, I think if we tap into that story about uh, about the values that we're all promoting, yeah, then it's not hard to find common ground. So it's not hard to find, even amongst a membership that sometimes have quite diverse interests, as you rightly say, that want to deal with issues as diverse as intellectual disability and. Uh, LGBTI issues or um, cultural and linguistically diverse uh, populations. Yeah, you know, it's a vast, yeah. it's a vast array, but uh, those diverse groups are able to unify around some very clear uh, messages. And I think that's that's the the light dancing, if you like. But okay. but having got there, uh, I think that gives you a very powerful message. So what what we're seeing uh, in a week's time is we're seeing those diverse members coming from all across the country to deliver a unified set of messages on our behalf. And I guess that's part of our communications strategy uh, and, and I don't mean that in a cynical sense. I think the the implicit messaging of having diverse stakeholders yeah, with distinctive powerful. interests taking a unified message and delivering it themselves, so it's not just, um, you know, Frank in his suit and in his Canberra fit, you know, get, getting around and doing the lobbying. Yep. These people come to town to deliver a unified message where they're saying, we are behind this message. Uh, I hope that that's a very powerful part of our communication strategy. And in terms of, you know, content communication essentially is about, yes, there's the traditional methods of communication, the public relations, the advertising, the events. Um, the offline activity, which is very important, but a very key part of it also is the this gift that organisations now have to be their own media company, that you can now produce your own video, audio, stills, text, graphics. There are multiple channels through which you can tell that story in order to drive back towards achieving those objectives. What's your experience at the moment with how you're going with taking advantage of that wonderful gift to be your own media company? Sure. Look, I, I think to be honest, we were slow starters, yep. which is a combination of things. I think that's partly about the fact that, you know, little NGOs often don't have uh, a lot of um, discretionary income to, to deal with. You know, we're funded by governments and others to do very specific tasks and we scrimp yeah. and save to do the bits around the edge. Yep. Um, but having said that, you know, the growth in our social media presence in particular over recent times. When you say uh, recent times, how long? The last two years, okay. I, I, I would have thought, yep. uh, two or three years, has been, you know, dramatic. And I'm talking from, you know, hundreds of engagements to tens of thousands of engagements, Excellent. you know, on, on a regular basis. Has it, has it helped you or has it helped you to get a better understanding of what the problem is by being in the publishing business to have these interactions so you're actually hearing what the audience is saying? It's it's had some, I think, uh, well, for mine and maybe this is just my education, it's had some unexpected yeah. uh, sort of benefits. I think the uh, perhaps most unexpected benefit I've, I would describe is the uh, direct interaction that I've been able to have with highly motivated um, people out there experiencing our mental health system. Yep. So uh, 
if I, you know, publish something via Twitter or Facebook, I will almost certainly receive very direct feedback from the dad who's looking after his 14-year-old daughter or the uh, woman who's struggling with uh, a bit of postnatal or, or whatever the relevant thing is. Yep. And my understanding of the nature of the world is enriched by those very direct interactions. Uh, I think that is... From that the, the, empathy, from that understanding yeah. where you can hear the language, the and tone un- is And speak. unfiltered. Yes. Unfiltered, you know, yep. it's, it, that's a direct one-on-one uh, yep. communication. Yep. Uh, so I think that's important. The other thing that I think is uh, important and, and perhaps less surprising though is the capacity of that social media to be delivering messages to our various political audiences yep. with relative ease. So we don't necessarily need to write the the press release and take it up to Parliament House and run yeah. hundred copies off and distribute it into all of those start, parliamentary boxes and then start begging. Yeah, you know, we we, we can send a <laughs> please we, run my story. We can send a tweet out, and the right tweet will get a response, uh, sort of almost immediately from the relevant minister, uh, him or herself, responding directly to an issue that we might uh, that we might raise. So that's also a much more direct conversation the other way. It's not about, uh, um, you know, our dear friends in the public service preparing lengthy briefings before the minister makes a particular statement about uh, about this or that. It can be about engaging quite directly in a conversation with, uh, you know, representatives who are up there on the hill every day uh, about the constituents and the reason why they need to be acting on these sorts of things. So that sort of direct engagement yeah. I think is probably both ways with our with our political audience and with our public audience, I think that sort of direct engagement is probably the overwhelming benefit of the sort of movement into this um, self-publishing environment. Yeah. Um, How strategic and thoughtful are you about that content? Uh, As we learn more about its power, then we're more and more careful and strategic about its use. And understanding the ability through being regular, consistent, understanding... What goes where? When uh, look, it look. Go. I think I think you're never, you're never going to stop learning. No, no. But I think those words you used uh, just then about regular and consistent. Uh, that, that's probably my best personal learning is yeah. to say that you have to be there, and it's not. You can't be there once. You can't be there only on your birthday. You know, every, we all get those Facebook messages. It's so and so's birthday. You know, I think we're all beyond that. It's it's actually about um, the routine of building. Uh, these sort of communications into your regular way of doing business. So uh, as our comms people told me uh, uh, in no uncertain terms, if I'm going to a meeting and it's not worth communicating about on some of our social media platforms, then why am I at the meeting? So we have the capacity uh, and I now do as part of our regular routine to say this morning I'm in Melbourne talking to the National Disability Insurance Scheme about... Uh, their work on mental health. How are people feeling about that? It's a very direct sort of way of both uh, gathering information about that I, that I might need to take to that meeting, but also uh, about building sort of understanding and goodwill amongst our stakeholders because they see on a daily basis the sort of work that we're doing yeah. rather than waiting for yeah. the annual report <laughs> once a year to, to sort of give them a bit of a sense of whether we're doing a decent job or not. That they probably wouldn't read anyway because it's no, too big. No, exactly. Well, they're only likely to read if they're getting grumpy and, That's right. and not happy with where we're going. This is this is a way to, I think, maintain a sense of accountability yeah. direct to our stakeholders and we take that very seriously. You know, we're, 
we're often speaking on their behalf. And so I think the more that we can expose our assumptions about what they're thinking, when they're thinking, why they're thinking it, the more we can be valid in our communications. With now, our the audience. final piece of the puzzle of the content communication puzzle is uh, measurement and evaluation, monitoring measurement valuation. How are you going on that? Pretty <laughs> early days. Is that fair? Yeah, okay. Early days. Um, but but, but, be, but you've recognised there's an issue we, though. But yeah, and to be fair, we haven't had much to measure before. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're certainly at, at the start of the journey, but our routine collection of metrics is uh, much more rigorous these days than ever, ever it once Good. was. So, you know... For instance, we send out a, a weekly newsletter. It's probably our most committed piece of correspondence. Goes out on a regular uh, schedule, and as your most of your listeners will know, our uh, the technology in the back end now yeah. allows you to actually look in detail about uh, a how many of them got read, um, but more importantly, which parts of it got read, which parts of it got clicked through, who followed links to to where. Uh, so we get to learn through that process about. Uh, the parts of our activity and our communications that actually have value to our members and the parts that either don't have value or that we need to do a better job of explaining. And that's a that's a very powerful tool because, again, that feedback is immediate. That, that yep. feedback happens, you know, within days of me sending out a, my weekly update on a Thursday. Yep. Uh, by Tuesday the next week, we've got a pretty fair idea of uh, how much of it was worthwhile and how much of it wasn't. <laughs> And how are you going with that? Going pretty well? Like you, look, I, look, I actually think we're going very well. Good. Um, don't, don't get me wrong. We can always, no, well, we can always, well, we'll always do better. But, it's, but you've got to, I think, celebrate the things you get well, right. Well, you do. Yeah. And I think that's one of the key things also to understand and it's for everyone to understand is that it just it, – this doesn't stop this thing. No. You know, this is – you're going to be going forever and ever saying. and it's things a, are going to be changing. It's about, how, it's, it's about how you build it into your process. So, yes. so it's not a thing you do. It's a thing you have to build into your business processes, your yep. thought processes, yep. your staffing so that you've got the right sort of staffing available yep. to support all, all of this too. So, but massively yeah. powerful, massively Absolutely. powerful. You know, you've told a very strong story, a great story now actually about how in fact you're using this to achieve – business objectives and to drive towards this vision of um, mentally healthy people, mentally healthy communities. So, Frank, thank you. Thanks for coming in. Really appreciate Delighted um, to have the conversation. your time and uh, good luck with your big meeting up on the hill. I'm, I'm sure that that will be a very powerful exposition of the story of mental health in Australia and I think you still can't um, – beat those, you know, face-to-face moments where the, the the politician is going to sit with the person and understand and see into their eyes because we're, we're people at the end sure. of the days. And, that, and again, that's a key part of content um, communication as well is that you do get out, you know, boots on the ground and do these things. But at the same time, you know, seeing all of these people and pictures of these people all together is, again, I can see that as a very powerful image going Wow, and you'll see that on the TV, and you'll yeah. see it, and, you know, and so and much of everywhere. our so much of our work, I think, is actually creating context for those face to face discussions. So, as yep. you say, it's about the face to face discussion, but that happens in the context of all of those previous communications that your audience has received, all of that discourse and dialogue that's happening. So, it, it happens in a context, and I think that's what we're trying to create. Okay, well, good luck on your journey. Thank good you. luck with that, and I'm sure that over the weeks and months ahead, you're going to enjoy and more and more, and it's going to create great value, this content communication process for Mental Health Australia. So well done on that. And to you, the audience, thank you once again. A little bit over time, but I'm sure you will see again. I, actually, 
I'm going to stop apologising because I think I'll just keep going as long as I like. It's only, it's not too much long over my 30 minutes anyway that I, I like to do it, but there we go. So it was a great chat with Frank today and I really do appreciate him coming in and he told us a really great story and I think there's a lot of learning in there for all of us from, from the insights that Frank has shared with us about, you know, identifying, you know, the objectives and understanding, you know, driving towards visions and then being useful, relevant, being consistent, using the different channels and, again, not forgetting getting this very powerful moment where, you know, the mental health community of Australia will come together to, uh, you know, influence our political leaders. So um, I really look forward to watching that over the next couple of weeks. So I'm sure it will be a great success. But to you, the audience, yes, thank you very much for uh, dialing in once again. And we will be back at the same time next week. Bye for now. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.